Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Please join me in reading Psalm 126 in the page 499 of your Pew Bible. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy, those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. I think I'm rightly quoting Yogi Berra, who said, Before I speak, there's something I'd like to say. (laughs) I just get giddy on Sunday mornings, looking out, thinking about our opportunity to worship together. All of your beautiful, messed up lives in one space at one time, and we don't have to pretend it's otherwise. Everybody here is just as gorgeous and messed up as the person you're sitting next to. And we get to be church together and figure out together what it means to live in relationship and community and worship God who transforms uh, all of us into something new and special. And today I was just sitting in the pulpit chair thinking about what a giddy privilege it is for me every Sunday to get up and look out at you and do church with you. So... Let me tell you about a meeting I was in last week. It was a, a meeting of, of folks in, throughout Atlanta, some uh, Atlanta leaders. It started with a devotional, and the woman, a friend of mine who started the devotional, began before she got to her scripture lesson. She started with this line. She said, we are in a world of hurt, and I don't mean that as a figure of speech. Then she went on to give an overview. Fire in Hawaii, earthquake in Morocco, flooding in Libya. We are in a world of hurt for sure. The evening news keeps reminding us of how much pain is around, but many in this room don't have to turn on the TV to be in touch with the anguish of this living. We are aware of the pain. And today's psalm is an exploration of joy. But can we talk about joy without coming off like some saccharine TV preacher who's just completely out of touch with all the hurt that's around us, all that this life is bringing? Is there a way to think about joy that's grounded in something that's real? Do joyful people just wear 
rose-colored glasses and whistle? Or is there something rooted in our faith tradition that can help us find some way back to that elusive joy? Ross Gay, who writes about uh, joy, uh, was, was confronted with this same challenge. He was speaking at a university, and the hosting professor uh, asked him in this kind of challenging way, I'm quoting, Ross Gay says, when all this is going on, and he held his hands up, though to imply war and famine, people all over the world in cages or concentration camps, some of them children, disease, sorrow, immense and imperturbable, it is only getting worse and worse. Dude had big hands. Why would you write about joy? That was the professor's challenge to the author. Well, I'm not sure why he was writing about joy, but I'm clear about why I'm preaching on it. Because since the Apostle Paul lists joy as second on his list of fruits of the Spirit, we might ought to take a look at what joy is and where she has been hiding. Wouldn't you like to find her again? And in this psalm, in just six verses, joy is mentioned three times alongside laughter and rejoice. But the psalm is not as joyful as it is pleading for joy. Did you notice? The psalmist is begging, restore our fortunes, O God. In other words, he ain't in his happy place. This is not Pharrell Williams singing, clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. This is a song from someone who's asking God to restore the joy that is not there anymore. Which makes it the psalm for many of us. The psalm for anybody who has lost joy and is down on all fours looking for it. Most of us want our joy back. We're so desperate for joy, we'll go try to buy some if we can. Eugene Peterson says, quoting, We try to get it through entertainment. We pay someone to make jokes, tell stories, perform dramatic actions, sing songs. We buy the vitality of another's imagination to divert and enliven our own poor lives. The enormous entertainment industry in America is sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. Society is a bored, gluttonous king employing a court jester to divert us after an overindulgent meal. He's right. And then, of course, we post those pictures on Facebook so everybody will think we found the joy we've been looking for. Well, the psalmist doesn't go to entertainment or diversion when in search of joy. He goes somewhere else to restore what's missing. He goes to memory and to hope. I already mentioned verse 4 of this psalm. 
It's the verse of the present tense. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Verse 4 is our current cry. It's where the psalmist is today. But the verses that are before verse 4 are in the past tense. And they're verses of memory. And the verses that follow verse 4 are in the future tense. And they're verses of hope. The opening verses remembers God faith, God's faithfulness, remembers the day when joy was in plentiful supply. It starts by saying, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. The psalmist, using memory to recall those happy times of deliverance, God's people had been in a long servitude in Egypt, suffering at the heat at the foot of the pyramids, answering to harsh masters, captives, slaves. And then God heard their cry, rescued them. God led them through the wilderness to a land flowing with milk and honey. Remember, it was a joyful time. The people of God had long history of a guerrilla warfare against the Philistines, and God raises up a young boy with a slingshot who would later become king of a united kingdom of the Hebrew people. Remember, it was a joyful time. Later, the Israelites find themselves in Babylonian captivity, rape and torture and mockery. It could have been Israel's worst day ever. And later, God delivers. Remember, it's a joyful time. Verse 4 is pleading. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. But the prior verses are remembering the past days of distress that ended in God's deliverance and joy. Our mouth was filled with laughter. Our tongues with shouts of joy. A reminder that the past distress always, always gave way to deliverance and laughter. But the verses after verse 4 are in future tense. Joy is not only nurtured by memory, but also by anticipation. If rescue is characteristic of how God has dealt with us in the past, it is certain to be God's way in the future. God's come through for us. God's come through for God's people over and over and over. Is there any reason to think God's mode of operation has changed? The psalmist uses two images to show how joy expects something from the future. And the first is rain in the desert. Restore our fortunes, O Lord like the watercourses of the Negeb, that vast desert that's marked by a network of ditches that are dry most of the year. But a sudden rain and all of a sudden desert flowers will perk up and start to bloom. And the psalmist recognizes that our lives are like that because after long seasons of being parched, 
wondering if there's any relief in sight. Suddenly there's a downpour of God's mercy and life is restored again. We should expect that again, the psalmist says. The second image, may those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Our nine-year-old grandson, Cooper, planted his first garden this year in a box in the backyard. They built him a garden box and he made the little holes and he put seeds in there and he watered and then he waited and he would go back out in the backyard and what he would see was a box of dirt. And then he, he watered it again and he'd go back out anticipating something and he would see a big box of dirt. And that just continued until it didn't. Until like magic, there were sprouts and green things and tiny vegetables and actual vegetables. And I got to bring home one day a cucumber about that big. I made a cucumber sandwich (laughs) out of Cooper's garden. It was great. But most of the time, he just spent looking at dirt until those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. In other words, the long season of waiting ends with laughter. That's what we know about what the future holds. Superficial joy is an escape from pain. Let's go to the movies. Leave me alone for a little while and let me read my book. As Eugene Peterson says, the huge entertainment industry is a sign of our depletion of joy. We purchase escapes. We run from hurt. But entertainment is a cheap substitute for joy. There is a deeper joy that is always holding hands with sorrow. Real joy never escapes the pain. Instead, it's entangled with it. I mean, we often confuse joy as being without pain or without sorrow. But the author, Ross Gay, who I mentioned earlier, says to live without pain or sorrow, quoting, I'm pretty sure you only get to do that if you have no relationships, love nothing, are a sociopath, and maybe if you're enlightened. I don't know about you, but I check none of those boxes. Joy needs sorrow the same way light needs darkness. Joy can't live without it. So don't confuse the psalmist with Julie Andrews. Singing in the sound of music, raindrops on roses and whispers on kittens. Bright cotter kettles and warm woolen mittens. Brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. 
The psalmist has no illusion that joy is just found in happy thoughts about pleasant things. Joy is found in a muscular memory of God's deliverance. We remember that the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. We remember that Israel had some really dark chapters, some seasons of forsakenness. But God delivers. We recount God's presence in hardship with a confidence that grows into a lightness and joy is restored. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And joy anticipates deliverance. When life feels arid, we know that God's going to bring rain to the desert again. Sure, our lives feel like desert right now, but we live with the hope that relief is coming. It informs our joy. And right now we're looking at dirt. But we have a memory that informs our hope. Because we know that seeds, by the magic of God, become cucumbers. We've seen God do it before. And we know that as loved children of God, a day is coming when what we have planted will yield so that we carry in the sheaves. Now, joy is not some kind of pastel, syrupy, feel-good something. Joy has memory and muscle. And neither is it a denial of the hurt that's all around us. Instead, it's a lightness of spirit that's created by memory and nurtured by hope that God has always come through for God's people. And God will come through again. Joy is a consequence of recognizing that truth about the nature of God. And it is deeper than any current hardship we carry. Last week, I went to Kingsbridge Retirement Center to see our dear member, Jenny Price. I was called in because she was actively dying. Her kidneys had shut down. Hospice had been called. I stood at her bedside and held her hand, and we talked and we laughed. She didn't want to be entertained or distracted. She was clear-eyed. Death was near. She told me she was ready for it. When I told her that when she entered heaven's gates, I wanted her to chase down some answers for me, she, she laughed and said, maybe you just need to go back to school. <laughs> and she talked about a good life. And that life on earth ended yesterday morning. But last week, there in her room, there was this lightness and serenity and honesty 
and acceptance. It was hard and beautiful and holy. And believe it or not, it was joyful. There was joy just spilling out all over the room. God's goodness had sustained her, and deep within there was gratitude and love and peace. And that's what joy looks like. Try pulling that off by going to see a good movie. Ha! Joy is grounded in memory that God never lets us go. Thanks be to God. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.